It's fantastic to be here uh, with you today. Anyway, uh, I, I might as well get straight into it. I, it's funny, before I, before I, uh, I'm going to speak on the subject that, that actually rarely gets talked about in church, and it's money and uh, giving and generosity. <laughs> uh, and for obvious reasons, because whenever you are, uh, in one sense, dependent on the uh, giving of your church for your salary, it makes it slightly awkward to do that. So that's why I just want to say Craig did not ask me to speak on this today. He begged me. <laughs> Pleaded with me to do it. Especially the bit about tithing to the pastor, which I'll come to later. That's a joke, by the way, if anybody, in case you're worried about it. it. It's funny, they say that when you talk on giving, people get uneasy. When you talk on tithing, they get hostile. Uh, and so I'm going to do both today. Um, it's really important that we talk about money because um, money's really important, part of our lives. People say, oh, well, Paul, it's not all about money. Sure, it's not. And I, it's, it's about love. And I go, well, that's true, but you can, you, you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And I mean, you go to Tesco's later on today or tomorrow and get some shopping, and, and the girl says, that'll be £40, please. And you go, oh, it's not about money. It's about, lo- it's about loving. Let's see how far that gets you. And so it's an integral part of our lives. Jesus actually uh, talked about that you can't love God and mammon. And so it's not just a, not just a currency. He, he seemed to imply that there's a lot more. It's almost like an entity in itself, the spirit of mammon that grips our hearts and grips our lives about wanting more, holding on to it, and not being generous. But when it comes to, to giving, it's, you can't browbeat people into doing it, not in the long term. I mean, you can't make people feel guilty into doing it. I've tried to do that, and it's successful on the short term. Uh, but it doesn't work. You can beat them with verses. You can do all that you, you want to. But ultimately, if Jesus hasn't captivated their hearts and it's res- they're giving as a response to that, that's an act of worship. Otherwise, it's simply charity. There's nothing wrong with charity, but it's not, it's not an act of worship. And that's what we want to talk about today. Uh, the, the, reason that, the reason I do it is, I, I, and Craig's already said publicly, uh, the reason you're doing what you're able to do is because of the generosity of people in this church. So this is not about beating you up. It's simply about reminding you why we do this, why, why you do it. So what I'm going to do is to give you seven reasons why I have been, I've, I've been a giver uh, to God's work all of my life. And uh, hopefully that might inspire you as well, okay? You, you're gonna, you, people say, well, God doesn't need our money. Well, if you're going to build a new building... You know, that, that, in one sense that's true, but if you're going to build a new building, you know, you're not, there's no money tree out there. It's got to be through the people sitting in this room. And God, God will use you to do that. So let's, let's have a think about why we do that. I'm going to read a passage in a, in a couple of minutes, so don't worry about that. But I'm going to, I'm going to start off by uh, it's, uh, why I give. Number one. And it's not, it's, not, it's not the most important, it's probably the most shallow reason, is I like myself better when I give. I feel better about my life. You, you say, well, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a wonderful verse in Proverbs, and it, it says this, uh, uh, the, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the, wor- the world of the mean gets narrower and narrower. There's something about generosity uh, in a person's life, uh, something that they cultivate that actually 
helps them to live better. And it's a principle, to be honest with you. You you meet people who aren't Christians and they're givers and they're generous. There's something large about their lives. There's something that touches the lives of other people. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the root of blessed, of course, is happy. And that's what I I want to do. So so all all of my life, I've tried to practice this. It it, it started with me um, when I was in the Brethren and I was, uh, the, the founder of the Brethren Movement, of course, was the Church of Ireland Minister. You probably knew that, John Nelson Darby. And uh, so, so uh, we, uh, one of the things that we, we did was we had lots of missionaries. And one night I went to uh, hear a missionary. Her name was Winnie Dick. Now, women weren't allowed to speak in the, <laughs> in the Brethren, but it was a particular home meeting. And when it was over, I just started my first job. And my, my, after my, uh, this was in 1968, and after uh, deductions, I had £10. That, that was my first week's salary. And so I really felt God challenged me. Uh, I was 17 at the time, and I put it in an envelope and I posted it off to her, and she was in India. Now, I don't know what she was doing with a £10 Ulster note bank, you know, in India, but she's probably set up on a, a wall somewhere. Uh, and, uh, and she wrote back to me and she said this she said we, thank you so much for the gift blah 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 and she said I, I, we're so del-, she said we always te- teach the young Christians about giving she said but, because why would we deny them such a blessing and there's something about about your life for generous people your life gets larger and larger I do a couple of things I go to Dublin quite a bit and uh, I've got one of the tabs now but before we had that I uh, I used to go up to the barrier and, and pay for the person bes- behind me. Didn't know who they were. Uh, but it was just, I just sort of, I'm going to cultivate this on a daily basis. And it's quite, it's quite interesting because you pay for it. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's on pen from a friend. And then you go through the barrier and you just stop your car. And then you see this conversation going on where the girl's going, oh, your friend just paid for up there. And they're going like this here. And then you wave to them and drive off as fast as you can. And you feel great all day. Seriously, it really changes your life. It's just something about it. I got a call it's just a while ago, uh, you know, one of those marketing calls. And uh, it was from, uh, normally you just go, no, I'm not interested. But it was from Help the Aged. And I thought to myself, it's enlightened self-interest because I'm going to need them soon. <laughs> and the girl said, would you like to give £4 a month for three years and gift aid it? So that's about £150. And I thought, I said, well, I'll just give you the whole lot now. And she said, I don't know whether I can do that or not. I said, oh, I think you'll find you can do it. Okay. And she, uh, so, so I did, we, she took my credit card details and I did, you know, I, I, I talked about gift aid and then, but 10 minutes later I got a call from the manager and said, because she's probably thinking that this girl has conned an old person <laughs> into giving money. I said, no, she didn't talk me into it. I had to talk her into keeping the money. There's something about generosity that's so foreign to our world. Uh, that that whenever whenever Christians are generous people, it changes their life and actually touches the lives of other people. The, the third thing that, that I try to I know this sounds it's all about me, but it's well it, sometimes it is. But but it, but um, the other thing was many years ago I was in America and the couple I was staying with, a man called Wendell Smith, Judah Smith's dad, and uh, and they went we were in a restaurant and he and his wife just bowed their heads and prayed briefly and looked around and I said what are you doing? They said every time we go out for a meal we pay for somebody's meal. I'd never I'd never heard that happen before, and I said do people come and throw themselves on the ground and trust Jesus? He said no, but he said it does something in my heart. 
And that's something I, I thought, I'm going to start that, actually. And so on a regular basis, I'm not exaggerating, maybe once a fortnight, I'll, I'll do that in a restaurant and just look over and go, now, why do I do all that? Well, the first point, I like myself better when I give. Please, you meet a mean person, you'll meet someone who's miserable. You show me somebody who's generous with a big heart, and you'll see somebody who's fun to be around. Okay? Number two. It benefits me. Okay, now I know that's slightly less shallow, but not that much. <laughs> and I, I'm gonna—I'll tell you. You wanted to keep this in mind because I want to sort of counterbalance that. Luke 16, uh, the parable of the shrewd manager. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called them in and asked them, "What's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer." The manager said to himself, "What shall I do now?" My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors and he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. And they asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Well, take your bill and make it 800. The master come. This is what Jesus says. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Have a think about that. I'll, I'll tell you that. And Jesus says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And here's what he said. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and mammon or money. And, uh, and that's important. Uh, just, just before I get into the passage, just, just, uh, just three things. It benefits me. I, I, think there, I think there's something in Luke 16. He says, if you're not been trustworthy in handling money, who will trust you with true riches? There, there, is, there is something about, about giving uh, that actually expresses, as, uh, uh, reflects your relationship to Christ. Because he said, if, you have, if you're not faithful with money, who's going to give you the true riches? Who's going to give you what's really important? And he's talking about spiritual things. There, there is something that it reflects your relationship with the Lord and, and also improves it. Because here's the point. If, if we, we are very, Christians are very good at, at uh, compartmentalizing their lives. So you say, well, actually, everything else in my life is right, but I'm not going to give any money. It reflects the rest of your life. It, Christianity doesn't work like that. I surrender all to Jesus. I look that word all up in the Greek, and you know what it means? Oh, that's what it means. And so, so when, when you hold something back, it's not, there's no surrender there. When you give it over to Jesus, something is touched in your life and actually enriches your relationship with Christ. 
Now, number two, I think that First Corinthians or, or talks two Corinthians rather talks about uh, sowing and reaping. It talks about giving in a in a manner that the more that you give, the more you get. Now, before you get upset with me, let me give you a definition of prosperity. And, and this is what this is my definition: enough to meet your own needs, and enough left over to meet the needs of others. Blessed to be a blessing. Okay. And so, so whenever you give and God shows that he can trust you, it's a bit like using the illustration of your landlord here. You know, it's, it's, uh, you're trustworthy in the rent of this place. They go, okay, we'll trust you with more. There's a, there's a, there's a sense in which God gives you more, not for yourself, but entrusts you so that you can use it uh, to benefit other people. So there's something very dynamic about touching your own life, both spiritually and even materially. And the, and the third thing is our, our, uh, our passage today. It's a, it's a fascinating passage. I don't know if you, Craig's ever preached it to you, but it's a, it's a, it's a strange one. And, and it's about a man who is the manager of, a, let's say, an estate. And he's been, a, he's been dishonest, and, and the owner of the estate finds out, and he puts him on his notice. And he thinks to himself, well, I, I've got to do something that will provide for me in my old age because I'm going to get the sack here. I'm going to be fired here. So he calls in the, the, the master's creditors, his, the boss's creditors, or, sorry, debtors, and he does a deal with them. He, he, he cuts their bill down. He's still got the right to do that. And, uh, and so when he does it, it's to, so that they will owe him something whenever he is out of a job. And then, then he says this here, or Jesus says, rather, the master, this is the man who's been defrauded, commended the dishonest manager, not for his dishonesty, but for his shrewdness. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. And, and here's, here's the point. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Okay, now what, what, what does that mean? Well, well that, let, me, let me give a, 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 a sort of a silly illustration. As you know, your pastor, Craig, is a big fan of One Direction. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's well known. And uh, Harry Styles still is a big poster up in his bedroom, which I think is a bit yucky, actually. But um, anyway, One Direction are doing their final concert, and uh, they're doing a tour, but it's their, their final, they're going to break up, and their final care in the uh, SSA, whatever that place is in Belfast, and uh, they, uh, the tickets are, but they're two hundred pounds each. But Craig, that's cheap. I mean, I'd pay that to see their last con- their last concert, to be honest with you, but. Anyway, 200, uh, to, yes, that was subtle there, so just, so, uh, there's, there's 200 uh, pounds. So Craig, Craig and Becky save up the money, they've got their 400, and uh, the ticket masters open 9 o'clock on Monday morning, and they come, in, they come into church, and somebody says, Craig, have we just got this, I wonder, we've got, we need an emergency uh, appeal here uh, for Bibles for the, uh, for the Middle East, for the Becca Valley. And uh, in, in Lebanon, my daughter's just come back from there and she has a huge need. And, uh, and so Craig's going, Bibles for Syria, One Direction. Now, there's nothing wrong in going to see One Direction. Well, there is actually, but that's beside the point. That's got nothing to do with what I'm talking about today. We went to see Billy Joel recently and it was really great. And, and so, so, but Craig says, Craig and Becky go, put the money in, let's buy the Bibles. They don't get to see One Direction. The years go by, and Craig, it'll be a long, long time, Craig, but he finally pops his clogs, as, as we say euphemistically, and, uh, and goes to heaven. It doesn't happen like this, but I'm, I'm just telling you a story to illustrate something. And, uh, and somebody comes to the door of heaven, 
And uh, they look down at it and they go, Craig, yeah, you trusted Jesus. Come on in. The doors are open. And suddenly Craig sees this group of people waiting to meet him. Now, it's not one direction. Okay, I want, you to, I want to get that out of your brain, okay? But it's a group of people, and they've got placards up, and they go, they go Craig and Becky. You're, you're, you're still here, Becky, but Craig, 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 okay? And they, they hoist Craig under their shoulder, and they run about, and they go, Craig, Cooney, Craig, Cooney, Craig. You go, what's going on here? They say, well, Craig, you know something? You won't remember this here. Many years ago, you gave money that bought Bibles. And I got one. And, and, and somebody talked to me about Jesus, and I read the Bible, and I came to know Christ. And you know something? Because of your generosity, because of your shrewdness and how you spent your money, we're going to be your friends for all eternity. Seriously, that's what that means. See, I, 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 I've been joking about you know, benefiting us, but actually, I, let's keep it. This is about an eternal consequence of how you spend your money. You say, well, does it have to go to Bibles? No, honestly, you build a new building, a 400-seater, how many more people are going to come to know the Lord because you build that building? This is about eternal consequences. You will gain friends for yourself when you enter into eternal dwellings. Let's keep our eye on the eternal. The reason we're generous people is not primarily about ourselves. It's actually about eternity. Let's be generous people. Number three, okay, I'm whittling through them rightly. It benefits, now we're on the bit you'll feel a bit more happy with. It benefits other people. 2 Corinthians 9 talks about, you says you supply the needs of God's people. You supply the needs of God's people. So, so, so whenever it comes to, we talk about the Lord provided, we have to keep in mind that, but also that God uses people to, to meet the need of other people. But I want to take, deal with the first one, and it's this. We always remember that God is the source of our supply. Okay? So you say, well, I'm employed by the education board. doesn't matter. God's the source of your supply. It doesn't matter the vehicle through which the money comes. God is the source of your supply. So... God often, I think sometimes we get into trouble because we try to determine the means of God's supply, the vehicle through which it comes. But actually, and often it can come in different ways, that which meets our need. But God is always the source of that. He's the one who initiates it. You you might get an inheritance, you might work for it, you might get a benefit, etc. But God's the source of our supply. He's the one who touches our lives and meets our need. And you have to be reminded of that all the time. That whenever whenever the time comes and you extend the build the building, whatever you do here, you've got to keep in your mind God is the source of your supply. He will supply it, Craig, okay? It'll come through people, but but God will supply. All right, He's the source. We were my uh, Priscilla was pregnant uh, with her second girl. I remember, and I was in business on my own. And those were before credit cards and all the rest of it. We had I just one one year had a really bad, difficult year. And I remember coming home one day, and Priscilla said the bank manager phoned and he said, "Tell Paul not to write any more checks." Hor- you know, horrible. And at sixty p. I was oh, seriously. I, I thought, what, what are we going to do? And Priscilla was, pre- and she said, "I fancy some liver." <laughs> I hate that liver, honestly. So I went round to the local butcher, Stephen, who I knew, and I said, "Stephen, liver for one." And he and I said, "I'm not eating that stuff." And he counted it. He, he weighed it out, and he gave it to me. And he said, "It's sixty p." Now, and then he and then he said, "It's on the house." 
And you say, it was only 60p, but, you know, I learned a lesson that day. God's the source of my supply. If God can put it in the heart of a, of a, a man who wasn't a Christian to give me 60p worth of liver, there's nothing that God can't do. God's the source of our supply. And, and often God, God, uh, God uses you to pass that money on. As I said, there are no money trees. When we were, uh, as Craig mentioned about CFC, there came a moment, 85, when we thought we needed a build. Only 75 of us. It's, this is, I hope this inspires you. And uh, the building that we're currently in in Strandtown came up for sale for £520,000. That included everything. They left the spoons when they left. They, they, they literally walked out of it, seriously. But, uh, and we, we, we didn't have any. But Priscilla and I and a couple of others were are the oldest people at 36. We were the oldest people there. Everybody else was in their 20s starting their first job. But we felt, you know, we should try and buy this building. And uh, we raised as much as we could. Uh, we, we went to the Ulster um, prevent, uh, begins with P, Progressive. And they gave us a decent loan, but we still came up short. So 12 of us who owned houses remortgaged our houses, including me, and put the equity into it. Because we really believed in what we were doing. And uh, we, we eventually came up 75,000 short. And the, the, the Church of God who were selling it to us, they, the minister said, I'll take a personal loan out. And if you will promise to service it. And that's how we got the £520,000. Interest rates were 15% base, and we paid 17%. Which is, which, you know, what are they today? Three quarters of a percent. 17%. And God uses people to supply the need of other people. When I, when I used to um, uh, be in the, in the Brethren many years ago, I would go preaching with my father-in-law. And we used to go to Port of Vogue fishing village and uh, every time I, I would go this I drove this man would every uh, crammed money three pounds actually into my hand and I never took it and one day my father-in-law saw me and he said did he offer you money and I said yeah and he said if somebody ever offers you money Paul always take it so if anybody crams a 50 pound note into my hand on the way out I will be taking it okay <laughs> just want to make that clear and I said well why and he said well there's three reasons he said number one he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Let him receive a blessing. He said, number two, if the Holy Spirit has told him to do it, let him be obedient. And he said, number three, if you don't need it, pass it on to somebody else. And actually, not long after that, I, I uh, and, and you know, a long time ago, we had a girl in CFC who uh, had cerebral palsy, quite, quite serious, uh, but, you know, really committed, knew the Lord, etc. And one day she came up to me and said, uh, the Lord told me to give you money. And I said, I, could, I can't take money from you. You can just imagine Belfast Telegraph, you know, you know, new church pastor cons girl out of money. I said, no, I can't do it. And she got really cross and she said, you told us that never, never to, uh, if somebody offered you money always to take it. And so I had to take it. And um, I mean, I'm talking 30 years ago. And uh, when, I, when I got home, she gave me cash and prayed for me. It was 600 pounds. Which, honestly, I nearly passed out. Now, we were able to pass it on to a couple of people who were unemployed in CFC. My point is simply this, that there's a, God uses people. Be on the alert. Don't, don't always think that there's, there's a great need overseas. People, people around us, even in our own church, actually, 
could have needs. Let's be sensitive because though God is, the, God is the source of supply, God uses you to meet the needs of other people. You supply them, their needs. Let's be sensitive to that. And that, that's one of the reasons why I do it. Number, number four, and I'm going to talk a little bit about um, tithing here, okay? Lock the doors, all right? Um, <laughs> I, and uh, I, I do it. I, the reason I've been a giver all my life is because Jesus tells me to do it. Matthew twenty three twenty three. Here's what Jesus says: Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. They were so fastidious about giving a, a tenth of their money, tithing, uh, and then he, uh, that they even tied the herbs in their garden. And he says, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then here's, people talk, quote that, but they don't quote this, the next bit. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. People say tithing's not mentioned in the New Testament. I'm afraid it is, actually. Now, I, I, so I, I've surrendered my life to Jesus, and so everything that I own and have, he's got a charge on it. So whatever he tells me to do, I want to be, be obedient. He mentions a tithe or a tenth. Now, could I just explain that? It means, in the Old Testament particularly, uh, the Levites did not have an inheritance, a land inheritance, therefore they couldn't grow crops. So the tithing system was, uh, was arranged, and it was, it, was a, it was legal. It was set in, uh, in legislation in the law, and it was to meet the needs of the Levi, those who were in full-time ministry. That's what, that, that's what it was about. But, of course, it started, it starts... First mentioned in, in Genesis, where Abraham gives a tenth of the goods that he's just plundered to Melchizedek. So there's a principle there, and then it's 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 set in law in the law. And now I've looked at all the verses and studied this upside down. And people get really upset about it that you 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 saying you're going back to the law again, etc. I please I don't want to do that, but I, I do I do want to say that there's something about setting a fixed sum that's fair for everyone. Now, if you earn 100000 a year, it's much easier to give 10000 and you earn 20000 a year to give 2000 of that. I acknowledge that, okay? But a percentage-wise, it seems to be a fair way of, of doing it and a good place to start. So personally, Priscilla and I, I've been, I have 49 years national insurance contributions. That's how long I've been working. And for all of those years, Priscilla and I have been tithers. We do it. We, we have never been the loser. And it's been an incredible blessing to be the means of someone else's uh, uh, su- supply through God giving it to us. So I'm really, I'm really convinced about this. I would say this. If you're not happy about us quoting this today, could I say, if that's what they gave under law, what should we be giving under grace? Well, that would be a great place to start. I, I actually think every Christian should tithe. I think it's a wonderful place to start. I think in the Church of Ireland, Craig, is there not a... You, you say something like, we will, we, will collect, is it, we will collect the offering. Harold Miller corrected me once when speaking at CFC in this. And he said, we, we collect the offering. We collect the tithe and receive the offering. Or is it receive the, the tithe? You don't even remember. So you don't, you're so far away from that there, okay? I know more. Get on your knees, Okay. But there's an acknowledgement that there's a difference between tithing and offerings. The tithe, we, we, we receive the tithe because it belongs to God, but we collect the offering because actually you get a choice in that. There's something very powerful uh, about that. Um, 
uh, let me say let me say four things. Um, God doesn't kill you if you don't tithe. Okay, I want to be a place to teach. I want to lift that off you. And they know how I know that because some of you are alive and breathing here today. Okay, so I've got. Right. I see that hand. Do you understand? You say, but you see, you say about God. You see, it's funny when you when you follow tithing through the Old Testament. It's pretty obvious, and history would tell us they they rarely did it actually. They only did it in times of revival. Now, there's blessing attached to doing it in the Old Testament. You know, if you tithe, the windows of heaven will pour out. It's there's blessing, but there's no, there's no penalty associated with not doing. But but there is a spiritual penalty in the sense of God doesn't change towards you, but you change because you get you get mean. Do you understand? You withhold something from God, so it's not that God changes, but you change. Something it's every time you say yes to God, you change and you grow. Every time you say no to God, something diminishes in your spiritual life. And so it has an effect upon you. I've generally felt there are four reasons why people don't, don't tithe or don't give regularly to God's work. The first one is ignorance. They've never heard it. That's dealt with this morning. Okay, so no excuses, anybody. But there's a couple other reasons. The, the, the second one is financial. You know, if, if you were to, if some, for some of you today, if you were to say, I'm going to give a tenth of my income into the church uh, for God's work and for whatever he wants it to do, then uh, actually my children wouldn't have shoes to go to school tomorrow. Well, look, in the words of Jesus, don't neglect the greater matters of justice, law, uh, faithfulness and mercy, okay? So what, what am I saying? I'm saying if it's shoes or tithing, buy the shoes. All right? Let's be let let's be let's do that. Don't be giving God out of your debt, okay? Buy your children's shoes, pay your electric bill. That's what I'm saying. Really clear about that, okay? So it's financial. But here's what I would say: I think most Christians would actually emotionally aspire to tithing. Would go, I'd like to do that. Here's what I'd say to you: Could you do a fiver a week? You know, could you? St- in other words, could you start somewhere? Could you say, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to try this. I'm going to, I'm going to start with a fiver. I'm going to give to. Well, I already put five. Well, could you give ten pounds? Or could you say, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to buy. I had fish and chips last night. Seven pounds. I'm going to stop my fish and chips and a coffee uh, next week. You know, could I do that? Could you start somewhere? It's a bit like not not reading the Bible because you don't have an hour every day. I remember God said to me one day, Paul, just take the five minutes you do have and don't worry about the hour you'll never have. You know, don't worry about tithing. Take, you know, give a, could, you, could you start somewhere? Could this be the beginning of someone on a journey of actually going, I'm going to start somewhere. I'm going, I'm going, to, I'm going to start to give. So, so there's a financial reason. Uh, number two, these are both, but more, this is, I've already alluded to them, there's a spiritual reason. In other words, there's something in your life you're holding back from God. And if that's the case, we really love to help you and pray for you because there's a spiritual issue going on in your heart. I, I, something blocking that, and you go, well, is that my will? It could well be, but it's a spiritual issue. But number four, it's a relational issue. And here's where it gets a bit icky, uh, and it's this, that, that you don't trust the people who are going to spend your money. In other words, when you give it into the offering basket, you don't have control over it. Can you give to what you can't control? Could you trust whoever spends the money here, Craig? I don't know who it is. The management team. Can you trust that those people are godly? 
will treat your money wisely, will steward it properly, and will not abuse you in any way. If you don't, if you don't trust them, here's the issue. Please go and see them and go, actually, I've got a relational issue here. We, we, need, to, we need to talk honestly and openly about this. So my, my, uh, my general feeling is that everybody who is working should tithe your local church. Okay? Uh, those who don't work should give what they can because God looks at what you hold back, not at just at what you give. Most of us need to give far more than ten percent. Could I say this? If you're, if you give, <laughs> Craig already, he, he really opened the door there. He talked about standing orders. You know, update your giving in light of pay rises. You know, if I was still giving ten percent of my ten pounds a week, it would be a pound. But I've got a substantial raise since that. You know, don't set up a standing order and don't 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 change it for ten years. Update it in light of pay rises, okay? And maximize your giving through, through give, gift aid. It's easily done. Thank you, Gordon Brown, who changed the whole system. Seriously, he's, his father was a Church of Scotland minister, and he said, I spent too many days in a cold month, and he said, I'm going, to give it, I'm going to give the church a chance. And he changed the whole system. So that if you even give £10 a year, you will, you will, the church will get another £2 on top of that. That's the tax that you have paid. It won't cost you anything, but the church will benefit greatly from it. Sign up to gift aid. And I'm sure that most of you do, okay? But maximize your giving by doing that. Now, it might be, and I'll say this just to cover all bases, it might be that you're married to someone who isn't a Christian. You know, you might be a man or a woman, and you go, you know, it's really difficult. My husband is really against me giving here, and I get that. And you know something? God knows that. And I'd say, don't jeopardize your relationship by, by money, but slip in the odd pound here and there, okay? You, do you know what I mean? Start somewhere. Do something. But, but be careful about that relationship. Number five, we're nearly there. I believe in the vision of... It was 12 o'clock. Goodness sake, this has been good, Craig, hasn't it? <laughs> No, that, it, it gets, I'll, go, I'll just go up a minutes, okay? I, I believe in the vision of this church. What, Craig, what's your vision statement here? Right, okay. The, the, vision, the, the vision statement of CFC is, I can remember it, uh, it's, we're a Christ-centered community dedicated to impacting Belfast, Ireland, and the nations with the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that is such a, it's a bit long, but it's, it's so good because I wrote it, actually. No, I, I didn't really. I, that was mine. And... Uh, so I believe, I believe, you, you must be here because you believe in what you're doing here. Isn't that right? Well, in the prayer meeting this morning, this gentleman prayed for the neighborhood, prayed for Craig Avon by name. You know, we believe in what God's called us to do here. There's a passion about it. And so, so what are we going to do in order to fulfill that vision? It will require finance. And so... If you, you, it's about believing in what God has called you to do. People, you know, the old football one, I, I say, many people support Manchester United and they, they put their hands up, you know, you know saddles. And, and I, I say to them, I would say, do you, do you send them money every week? And everybody goes, no. I could. Well, then you're just a fan. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of fans in the church, but there's a lot less supporters. You, you spell commitment, as the late John Wimber used to say, M-O-N-E-Y. Here's the point. For the rest of your life, you'll give yourself to something, to some cause. You'll invest yourself in it. The only, the only issue is, will it be worthy? If you actually don't believe in the mission of this church, 
and this is Craig will never say this, but I'm saying, you know, go somewhere and find find a mission that you can believe in, and get behind it, and give to it, pour your life into it, and it'll make a difference eternally. Luke 16. I believe in the vision of this church. Number six, and uh, I want to set an example. My my, uh, I have four daughters, as Craig said, and we I was we give them the, the days when you give pocket money. And I would give them, you know, a pound and then take 10p back again and say, that's going into the offering basket. And you say, well, that's terrible. But I taught them something. And I, I realized this recently. It's just our, our, our kind of mentality was, you know, give, 10, give 10%, save 10% and, spend, and budget on 80% if you possibly can. And so the girls have all kind of uh, sort of done that in their life. Quite recently, I have, a, I have a couple of daughters who aren't still writing their testimony, kind of put it like that. And uh, one of them called me up. She's got this really high, really brilliant job. I mean, more money than any, seriously, I've ever earned in a lifetime in the financial industry in Scotland. And, uh, and uh, anyway, a fund manager. And uh, she said, Dad, uh, and she's, she's writing her testimony. And she said, Dad, um, where should I give my tithe to now? I'm just thinking about changing that. She's still, she's still tithing. She doesn't, she's not tithing. She's not tithing in order to gain favor with God. It's just something's been ingrained in her over the years. All her life, that's what she did. And she said, well, why, why, would, I, why would I not? They're, they're incredibly generous girls because there's something put into them. They made a decision at a very young age that whatever happened to them, this is the way they were going to run their lives. And, and they've done it ever since. It's been, it's been fascinating to watch. One, one, one last story, uh, and then I'll do my last point, which is pretty quick. And it's this. Uh, some of you have heard of Lang Construction. Uh, and Sir John Lang, uh, he became Sir John Lang. Lang Construction was one of the largest um, builders in Western Europe. John, John Lang was a brother and boy, actually, and a civil engineer. And at a young age, he got married in their 20s. And his wife decided that they would, uh, they would live in a certain proportion of their salary and they would give the rest away to God's work. And, and they said, whatever we earn in the rest of our lives, funny, whatever we earn, we will maintain a balanced lifestyle. So they went on holidays, they had a house, you know. I actually preached in the church that he went to, Woodcroft Evangelical in North London, and, uh, and saw the house that he lived in. And it was a, pr- a pretty modest bungalow in North London. But Sir, he didn't realize he was going to become Sir John Lang and become a multi-billionaire. And John Lang, John Lang, the Lang Trust today is the largest giving Christian trust in the United Kingdom. In other words, because of a decision that a young man made at the beginning of the 20th century that he would do with his money and, and pledged it to God, millions of pounds every year are given away into God's work. It's, it's the most staggering story. You read, his, you read his life story. It's incredible. And, and it, 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 teaches me, it teaches me this. And it's this. If there's, and there's some, some younger folks here today. You know, somebody here, Craig, could make a decision that would affect not just this generation, but generations to come. John Lang died in the 60s. But John Lang, though he's dead... Still he lives. Because of what he, a decision, a simple decision he made for the rest of his life. Can you imagine? Some of you might today make a decision that will affect the lives of people in Craig Alvin, but it will do more than that because their story has changed, their children's story has changed, and their grandchildren's story has changed. It's the most incredible thing. 
Maybe God would speak to us today about that. Number seven, and it's very simply so that someday I'll hear the commendation of Jesus. And uh, you know the commendation, enter into your rest, good and faithful servant. I, uh, I, I suppose, I don't know what you, you think about this, but First Corinthians 3 would lend me to believe that there will be a review of our service, not our sins, dealt with at Calvary, secured, absolutely. If you're not a Christian, please, giving will not earn you a place in eternity with Jesus, your sins forgiven. It's a response to what Christ has already done in your life. But, but I, think, I think it's pretty real that we will have an assessment. Now, I don't know whether it's going to be public. I just think we'll all have a one-on-one with Jesus. Biggest performance review of, uh, you, you'll ever had in your life. And you'll review, you'll review your talent, what you did with your talents, what you did with your words, what you did with your time, what you did with your gifts. Do you think you say, but the money, did, the money bit didn't matter? I honestly think that he'll review every part of our lives. He might say, that was great, that one's so good. I don't think it'll be a temp- an eternal sense of, you know. But there's an assessment. There's an asse- and if I had another, if I had more opportunity, I'd talk about rewards as well. But there's this incredible sense of hearing those words. Enter into your rest, good and faithful servant. You've got a big challenge coming up, Hope Church. And uh, I, you know, I personally, in my history of CFC, I'd rather have someone who gave £10 a week for 52 weeks a year and threw a couple of hundred pounds in every now and then. You can budget, you can do it. Just give consistently, keep on doing it, and you will find what God will do will be incredible through that giving.